Good morning. How is everybody? You guys good? Good? Good. Good to see you again. I wasn't here last week. I hope you recognize that, noticed that. Uh, Savut was up here. Savut always does a, uh, a really good job, doesn't he? He's a, he's a really good teacher. He does a great job. We listened to him on the way back uh, from our vacation. Uh, we were driving through hell. It's, it's Atlanta. Um, and uh, we tuned in. I need, to, I need to hear about Jesus when I'm driving through Atlanta. When it's a Sunday morning and it takes two hours to get through that city. Uh, what the heck? It's like a vortex of, of traffic. And if one can lose their salvation, that's, that's where it can be done. So... Uh, Anyway, so I listened to Savut. It was a fantastic message. I thought he did a great job. We're in a really interesting part of the Gospel of John. If you're new here, we've been working through this book for a while. We're in a, we're in a, a, a part of the Gospel of John, and, and really the, the last kind of third of the Gospel of John takes place in about a 24-hour span. And so there's a lot of emphasis on this last full day of Jesus' life before he's arrested, crucified, and, and uh, you know eventually resurrects and, and everything else. But where we're at and where Savut was talking last week, chapter 13, we're gonna do 14 today. Chapter 13 starts off really beautiful. It's very intimate. It's very special. This moment where Jesus uh, um, kind, of, kind of unrobes, if you will, and, and gets in front of the disciples and takes a towel and some water, washes their feet, and he's teaching them this extremely important lesson and showing his servitude to them and his love for them. And it starts off really, really beautiful. And then it gets kind of dark. We're in kind of a dark part of the Gospel of John as well. And Jesus predicts uh, Judas's betrayal, that one of his own is gonna sell him out to be killed. He predicts Peter's betrayal, which is a, which is a big deal because Peter's kind of the, the unofficial leader, if you will, of the 12 besides Jesus. And um, so it kind of ends on kind of a dark, scary note a little bit. And there's this really intriguing dialogue between Peter and Jesus. Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me. And Peter says, why can't I follow you? Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus goes, will you really? Will you lay down your life for me? And he asks this question. And it brings up what Savut talked about, that, that we have to ask ourselves as professing Christians, and just because we say we are Christians doesn't necessarily mean that we are. We'll talk about that a little bit today. But as professing Christians, we have to ask ourselves, are we committed to serving, not just God, but others? The Bible tells us to do, the, do both. And are we committed to sacrifice? Following Christ is a sacrifice. Jesus says we have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. That's what it means to be a believer. Are we committed to that? Today, what we're gonna talk about is this. And chapter 14 has a tremendous amount of very simple but important theology, thoughts and teachings on God and we're gonna talk about that. And what we're gonna talk about essentially today is the exclusivity of Jesus. That, that This is a weird way to put it. There's a, to a certain extent, Jesus is discriminatory. Um, there is only one pathway by which humans are able to interact with God, and that is through Jesus. There is only pathway by, by which we are saved. There's only one truth, one way, one life, one way of truly living the way God wants us to live, and that's through Jesus. And we are gonna talk about that today. It's, it's a truth, but it's a very offensive truth in the Western world. And we're gonna, we're gonna hang out on that a little bit today. And so as the world becomes more and more chaotic, we have to ask ourselves, do we 100% do we believe that Jesus is the only way, that, that, that he is the only path? 
That's what we'll discuss, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the, the jumbotron behind me here. Um, if you have a smartphone, every, that's what we should do. We should do like a, a, a kiss cam, but we'll have to make sure everyone's married, right? <laughs> Travel around. And uh, Anyways, we shouldn't do that. That's a horrible idea. Um, if you have a smartphone, sometimes things just come out and you redact it. Uh, um, where was I at? If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, if you have a Bible, we're in the fourth book of the New Testament, the 14th chapter. Very, very important chapter. So uh, let me pray. We'll dive into this and um, we'll see what the Lord says to us. Okay, glad you guys are here this morning. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, I wanna thank you so much for everyone in this room. Thank you, God, that people take some time out of their schedules, Lord, to, to come in and to worship and to study the word, Lord, and to have community. I pray, God, that you bless our church. We don't only pray for our church, though, Father. We pray for every Bible-believing church in this community. We pray for our other campuses, the churches in those areas, God. We pray for the wonderful nonprofits that we partner with and the work that they do, God, um, out in the community. And we just pray, Father, that as we study your word today, that, that everything we do today, God, that it honors you, that it brings us closer to you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name and in, in your name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about some heavy stuff today, guys. Uh, that's just the, the, the part of the Bible that we're in right now, okay? Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him, which means you are looking at God. So up to this point, the disciples have, hard, have had to learn to trust Jesus in a couple of different ways. They've had to learn to trust Jesus with their, their daily provision, their food, their shelter. Jesus has miraculously provided food for them and others, provided shelter, provided their daily means. So they trusted Jesus in that respect. They also needed to trust Jesus with their eternal souls, and they did. They knew that Jesus was the only pathway to salvation, but at this point in the story, they were going to have to learn to trust Jesus with their literal, physical lives. And John says, at that, they were troubled. They were afraid. So here's the thing about following Jesus. It's all great until it becomes costly. And I could stop at this slide today, and I could rant and rave on this slide for an hour if, if I had the freedom to do so. But, but this is our problem right now in the United States. Christianity has always been a cool thing in the United States until it became socially costly for us, until it became a, a rub, until it became offensive to certain groups of people. And now what we're seeing in the United States is Christianity is declining quicker than it ever has on record in the Western world. Atheism, agnosticism excelling at a rate that we have never seen in the Western world. And why is that? Because now it's becoming a little bit more difficult to become a Christian. And, and a lot of people who profess to love Jesus, that when there's a little bit of tension and pressure, they, they, they cave 
to culture and society, which we will talk about later. So we have to ask ourselves, listen, here's the thing, guys. It's not gonna get easier to be a Christian. Jesus was asked, what is, what is it gonna look like when you come back? He says, well, the closer my second coming is, Jesus says it's gonna be like labor pains. If you talk to any one woman that's ever given birth and you're like, hey, is it just like better and better the closer it comes to the baby coming out? <laughs> They're gonna, they're gonna tell you no or just laugh at you hysterically. It gets more difficult until the delivery. Jesus says, until I come and deliver you, it's gonna get worse and worse and worse. So if we cannot hold on to the faith now, we're not gonna be able to hold on to it later. Okay, so we have to have a clear line drawn now. So the disciples were troubled, they were afraid. And what do we need when we're troubled and we're afraid? We need assurance, we need peace. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, listen, in my father's house are many rooms. If that weren't true, I wouldn't have told you so. And so Jesus looks at his followers in times of great fear and he assures them, listen, I have enough room for all of you. And, th and this is important because in verse two, people get down and they study the Greek and they wanna break it down. And what does it mean many rooms? Or is heaven gonna be like a big, you know, like condo complex? What, is this, what does this look like? And that's not the point of verse two. The point of verse two is Jesus is saying, for as many of you who wanna be with me, I'll make the space. I'll make the space. That's what he is saying to them, assuring them they have a permanent home with him. And then verse three and four is just more affirmation of that. Jesus is not going to leave us alone in this life. We'll talk about this a little bit more here in a minute. He's going to leave in physical form, but we're not gonna be left alone. He is also going to return in physical form. Acts chapter one tells us this, and he's gonna defeat evil once and for all and take us to our permanent home. So listen, if we call ourselves a Christian, we should know this. This is kind of like basic theology. Jesus loves us. He doesn't leave us alone. He's gonna come back for us one day and we're gonna be with him in heaven forever. So we should know that the way to heaven is through the word of God in a relationship with Jesus. Thomas didn't, didn't, it wasn't quite clicking for Thomas yet. And Thomas goes, you know, Jesus, how do we know the way if we don't even know where you're going? How can we know the way? And so Thomas's question prompts what may be some of the most important words ever documented on paper in the history of humanity. Jesus says, you're asking what the way is? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. There are no multiple truths. I hate to hurt your feelings this morning. There, there's no your truth and my truth. There's just truth. And the truth is Christ. Jesus even says, what comes out of my mouth is truth. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father, that is God, except through Jesus Christ. There is no understanding of God. There is no comprehension of God. There is no security of heaven in any other way except through Jesus. Is this true? Absolutely. Is it offensive? It may be the most offensive thing in the Western world. That this is exclusively the only pathway to heaven is Jesus Christ. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
The words I speak to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There's some important theological stuff in this as well. So listen to this, they're, they're still not getting it. Not only is Thomas not getting it, obviously Philip isn't getting it as well. He goes, okay, hey Jesus, just show us God. And Jesus' response is, how long do I have to be in front of you before you realize I am God? You know what the problem was? You know why the professing disciples of Jesus missed who Jesus really was? Listen, this is very important. They were more fascinated by the works of Jesus than they were focusing on the words of Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a lot of people who are more into the benefits of Jesus than they are actually Jesus himself. There's a lot more people who are into the things that Jesus can do for them than they are about learning what Jesus is telling us to do and how we are to live our lives. Jesus had been telling these guys forever, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father over and over and over again. He says it a couple of times just in this portion that I just read, but they were missing it. So the way I think of Jesus, listen, I know God the Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. It's all God, right? The Holy Trinity, that's God. The way I, Corey Trimble, think about Jesus, and maybe this will help some of you as well, is Jesus to me is the comprehensible side of God. This is the under, understandable side of God. What that means is, so, so Jesus, Jesus is the, the visible image of an invisible God. The Bible says that. I don't know if we will ever fully comprehend everything about God. I think for the rest of eternity, we will be learning more and more about our creator. But what Jesus does for us is gives us everything that we need to know about God now so we can be saved and be in eternity with God. So how does God speak? Well, all we have to do is look at how Jesus speaks. That's how God speaks. What is the truth? All we have to do is see how Jesus lives out life and what he teaches us, and that is the truth of God. How Jesus reacts, how Jesus loves, how Jesus even says, I discipline you because I love you. These are all the attributes of God. We learn about God through the example of the visible Jesus Christ that walked on the earth. And again, though we may not understand everything about God, we can understand the nature of God. We can understand the character of God. We can understand the standard of righteousness by which God wants us to live because of the example and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, you're gonna do what I do. You're gonna do the works that I do. So that works on two different levels. On a practical level, true Christians have been empowered by God to live similarly. We can't live exactly like Jesus because Jesus was perfect, right? We're not perfect. But we are called to live like him. The Bible says, be holy like he is holy. That means practically speaking, we can start to talk like Jesus. We can start to, to, to think like Jesus, to act more like Jesus, to treat other people the way Jesus treats people. And that's on a practical level. We're also empowered by God to experience the miraculous like Jesus did. 
that we may lay our hands on someone who is sick and pray in his name and we may see them be healed, that we experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, you're gonna do even greater things. Now we have to be careful with this. There are some people who take this in a theologically wrong direction. I've talked about this before. There are some people who, who go in some circles who say, we're gonna do greater miracles than Jesus. That's just not true unless you plan on being crucified, dead for three days, raising yourself from the dead by your own power and forgiving all the sins of humanity, you're not gonna do a greater miracle than Jesus. It's just not gonna happen. So that has to mean something else. What does that mean? Jesus was saying, I am physically leaving the earth. You're gonna do greater things. Since he is physically gonna be gone, the greater things that we do is we take the gospel to the entire globe. He only did it in, in Israel, a little bitty blip, right? We're gonna take it to the entire globe. That's the one thing that we're gonna do greater than him, if you will, okay? To take the gospel to the entire world. Jesus also says, if you ask anything in my name, you're gonna get it. <laughs> so we're, we're only able to practically be more like Jesus and spiritually live more like Jesus if we ask for everything in his name. Now, this is not the name it, claim it stuff. This isn't like when we're taking communion today, you're like, in Jesus' name, when I get back to my car, there'll be a million dollars in 20s in the trunk, right? There'll be a million, I name it in Jesus, claim it in Jesus' name, it's gonna be there. Listen, that's called the prosperity gospel and it's bull crap, okay? That's not what that means. When we, <laughs> we're all poor in here, right? So, so what, that mean, <laughs> what that means is that whatever we ask for in the will of God, when we seek the things of God, we receive the things of God because God already wants those things for us. So what's a good example of that? If my wife and I pray every single day, God bless our marriage, God is 100% gonna bless our marriage because it is God's will to bless marriages. So we will receive that because he wants that for us. The Bible says if we ask for wisdom, we will always receive wisdom and we'll receive it in abundance because God wants us to live wise. He wants that for us. On a practical level, if God wants us to take that job, you know, on the West Coast or East Coast or somewhere in another country or something, if we pray about that and say, God, if it's your will, open the door. If it is his will, he will open the door. You will receive that if he wants you to have that. The question is, are we pursuing the desires of God versus our desires? Because if we're just pursuing what we want, we're probably not gonna get those things. But if we're pursuing what God wants for us, we receive everything that we ask for in his name. If you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you in a little while while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my father. You are in me and I am in you. The one who has kept my commands, and uh, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. 
I also love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Let me pause there for a second. Man, it'd be a bummer to also be named Judas, right? (laughs) Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Third time he said that, guys. My father will love him and I will come to him and make our home with him. The one who does not love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Now, John 14, 15 may be one of the most easy to understand but maybe some of the most important words, not just in the Gospel of John, maybe in the entire Bible. It simply says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. I can't tell you how many thousands of times over the last 14 years of pastoring this church, people say, man, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Are you doing what the Bible tells you to do? No. Listen, it is is audacious. And, And again, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings today. I just wanna tell you truth that'll change your entire eternity. It is audacious of us to say we love Jesus if we do not follow the word or have even taken the time to learn what the word tells us to do. It is audacious. It is incompatible with true Christianity to say that we love Jesus if we are not following the Bible. I'll take it a step further. It is audacious and not biblical to say that we are saved if we are not continuing in the teachings of the Bible. Corey, how dare you? John chapter eight. Listen, I'm trying to hurt your feelings today. I know your great grandpa who's a Baptist preacher in the country told you once upon a time, you can say a prayer one time and live however the hell you want. It's not compatible with the Bible. You can take those words and you can compare it against Jesus Christ himself. How many times just in the portion that I've read to you, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my words. If you don't keep my words, you don't love me. That's straight from the mouth of God himself. Now, your denomination may have said something else. I don't care. The words of Christ are, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And in John chapter eight, he said, you are not of me. I'm gonna take that as you're not saved if you are not continuing in my words. You can throw any writer from the 15th century you want at me. I don't give a rip. Jesus said those things and I'm just gonna go with that. Why? Because I'm not a follower of your denomination, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I am a follower of, okay? Sorry, guys. So anyways, here's the thing. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Jesus tells us to keep his commands, but he also knows that we're going to fail. So we need his help and we need his grace. So Jesus promises, he says, I'm not gonna leave you like orphans. I am gonna send you the Holy Spirit, which he basically says is me. I'm I'm gonna be with you. I'm always gonna be with you. So here's the thing. We're going to fail at times. That doesn't give us a license to fail. Savut said this last week. Just because God is gracious, Paul says that doesn't mean we sin more so God can distribute more grace. That's not the way it's supposed to be. If we love him, we will strive to keep his commands. But when we inevitably fail... 
We should say, God, forgive me because I love you and I, I want you to be pleased with me. God, please forgive me. And then we consult with the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment and guidance so we don't keep falling in to the same pit hole, like pothole, pitfall, just added those words together. You come up with a new one, right? So, so we know the Father is God. We know that Jesus the Son is God. And now we learn that the Holy Spirit is God as well. If you wanna be one of those you know, Greek nerds, the word for that is homoutheus, which means they are all the same substance. So if the Spirit is equally God, just like the Father and the Son, we need to not deny the Spirit. Some of you in this room probably came from, from churches where they, they never talked about the Holy Spirit, right? Because they were nervous about it. If we talk about it too much, hands are gonna go up, you know? People are gonna start praying out loud. Someone might experience one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Everything's gonna fall apart at the seams. So we, you know, churches would neglect that. And those of you who came from that, you understand when we neglect the Holy Spirit and suppress it, we just become legalistic. We become stale, right? And then there's other people in the room, like myself, that came from the more charismatic side where all we talked about was the Holy Spirit. Some of you who are super charismatic, it was the Holy Ghost, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And when we only talk about that side of God, if we're gonna be honest, we just become a bunch of weirdos <laughs> and emotionalists and mystics and we're imbalanced and it's all heart and no head. And so what are we supposed to do? We're to live in balance of all this. And the Bible tells us how to do that. Listen, all of you have the Holy Spirit, whether you've talked about it or not. Ephesians 1.13, if you have given your life to Christ, you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, because we have it, we're not to be ignorant of it. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, brothers and sisters, it is not good that we are ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, about the working of the Holy Spirit. So we're not to be ignorant of it. We're also not to be extra biblical about it. What I mean by that is we're not to explore too much outside of the Bible, the works of the Holy Spirit, because there are some kooks and some weirdos out there. We are to rely on the Spirit. We're to engage the Spirit. We're to ask God to fill us with the Spirit and let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do in our lives and through us. And when we're obedient to God, we start to see God work in our lives. The, the whole thesis of the Gospel of John is believing is seen. When we put our life in the, in, in the hands of God, we start to see God operate. And Jesus reinforces this in verse 21. Look what he says. He says that if we're obedient to God's word, we're loved by the Father, and that Jesus reveals himself to us. So a lot of people get frustrated and they say, well, I never see God work in my life. I pray for things, they never happen. All this, so it's either one of two things. If we are not seeing God work in our life, if we're not having prayers answered, it's one of two things. One of them we've already talked about. We're not praying for things in the will of God. We can be saved and maybe we're still not praying for things in God's will. Therefore, we're not seeing productive prayers, if you will. That could be one issue. The other issue could be this. If we are not living in accordance with the scripture, we cannot expect to enjoy the benefits and blessings of God. If we spend our whole life telling God to stay out of our business and then we ask him for things and we don't get it, we can't be shocked at that. We have asked him to not be a part of our life. And so we cannot live in sin, unrepentant sin, and expect to see the blessings of God in our life. And so if people come up to me, and again, I'm not trying to be mean to you this morning, I'm just trying to be open and honest with you this morning. 
If a, a couple walks up to me and, and they're dating, they can be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever the case may be, and they say, can you pray for our relationship? I'll say, I'm more, more than happy to pray for your relationship. Are you living the way the Bible tells you to live before you're married? Well, no, we're having sex. I'm like, then I can't pray for your relationship because it's a waste of my time and it's a waste of yours. If we are living in conscious, deliberate rebellion to the word, we cannot expect the benefits and blessings of the word of God. That's just truth, guys. And that's not to shame you or make you feel bad. It's, it's hopefully to encourage you to do things the way God wants you to do it. And then you will see God work in your life. So our unfortunate friend Judas, the other Judas, who is probably Thaddeus, uh, we know very little about him. It mentions him a couple of different times by different names in other gospels, which I guess I'd probably want to be called a different name too. Um, but he asks a question with Jesus. He says, well, how are you going to reveal yourself to us? And the world's not going to see you. And what Jesus was talking about is, he said, the world's not going to see me, but you're going to, because it's going to be a spiritual thing. Visibly, he's going to be gone. But to the Christian, we still see God operate because God is in us. That's what he's referring to. And Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. This is very important. The Bible says God is a spirit, so we have to approach God in a certain way. Well, I just approach God in my way. Well, your way is wrong. The Bible says we have to approach God in spirit and in truth. That means that we approach God both intellectually with our brains, right? And the way we approach God intellectually is we read, your brain enables you to do that. We read the Bible and there are very simple instructions and teachings. And when we read the word of God, we just practically, simply, intellectually do certain things because it says do them. And we don't do certain things because it says don't do them. Very simple, very easy to understand, intellectually. The other way we approach God is spiritually. That's with our heart. That's with our emotions. Again, that balance, the balance of mind and, and, and heart. And when we approach God spiritually, the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. Now listen, the Holy Spirit, because again, in some circles they say, well, the Spirit told me this. If the Spirit tells you anything that contradicts this, it may be a Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit because the spirit will never contradict the word because in essence, they are the same thing. And so here's the thing. How does the spirit teach us all things? What the spirit does is it helps us grow in our maturity as a Christian. We see the fruit of the spirit, things like self-control, gentleness, patience, peace, kindness, love. These things come from the Holy Spirit. They grow us and mature us. We also see the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I have scripture reference if you wanna go back and read about those. But even, even things like uh, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of discernment, the gift of faith, the gift of miracles and healing and tongues, interpretation, things like that. These mature us as God distributes those gifts, if he distributes those gifts uh, uh, to us. And it grows us and it teaches us more about how to follow him, okay? And maybe the best gift besides salvation that we receive from God is the gift of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fear, fearful. Let me pause. Listen. I want you guys to hear this. Jesus knows the future of all these men that he's talking to. If you don't know how all these men die, it is horrific. 
these men were about to face a horrific future. I said this a couple of weeks ago, right? We often complain about how hard it is to be a Christian. Bartholomew, one of the 12 disciples, was filleted alive, skinned alive, skinned alive, right? Some of these guys hacked to death with machetes, some of them crucified upside down, some of them beheaded. John, was he died of natural causes, but he was boiled alive in oil and then kicked off to an island. That's where he wrote the book of Revelation. And so these men faced horrific futures. And Jesus knew how horrific their future was. Here's what I want you to hear. He knew how tough the world was going to get. And Jesus looked at them and said, you have nothing to be afraid of. You have nothing to be scared of. Listen, I don't care what happens with the stock market, and I'm not superhuman. I, you know, I'm setting aside money for my kids to go to college. Hopefully, you know, I'll retire one day in my 80s or something. You know, like I, I, I'm, I'm trying to prepare for those things. But if we are more afraid of economics, or we, if we're afraid of politicians, if we're afraid of governments, if we're afraid of, of, of corporations, I want you to hear this. Jesus is looking at his believers right now in 2023. He goes, hey, as long as you're with me, you got nothing to be afraid of. I, 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 deep in my heart, I hope some of you heard those words this morning. I don't care what happens. Because I'm gonna tell you guys, I, I hate to be the, 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 the bearer of bad news today. It's only going to get worse. It is, if you're holding your breath for something to turn around, you're gonna die of, of asphyxiation. You're, going, you, you're gonna hold your breath too long. You're gonna pass out. It's called the apocalyptic theory that everything gets bad, 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 bad until something happens and it changes forever. That something is Jesus's return. Jesus said, it's gonna be like labor pains, guys. Well, no, if we get that guy in office, it's gonna turn around. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang my hat on it. I wouldn't hang my hat on it. Okay, where in the heck was I? Here we go, all right. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer, look at this, because the ruler of the world is coming and he has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's leave this place. So a relationship with Jesus and obedience to the word of God yields peace. True followers of Christ have an internal peace that makes absolutely no sense to the world around us. We have an internal peace. So in this chaotic world, not only can we be at peace, and listen, man, I got two teenage daughters, man, and so whenever people are like, well, Corey, you just think you're impervious to stress and, and fear? No, 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 I'm not. But in those times when the chaos seems to creep in, I have to go back to the truth. I have to tap into that fruit of the spirit of peace. And not only are we to have peace, listen, the Bible says, James says, we are to be cultivators of peace. That means that Christians are to be the ones to de-escalate situations, not throw more gas on the fire. Guys, I'm just gonna go ahead and go there. Whenever you see an argument or a debate on Facebook, because that's where all great conversations are, are settled, right? Whenever you see that, you don't have to jump in and try to prove your point. You don't have to go in and throw and, and agitate and throw more fuel on the fire and get people stirred up. 
I would make the argument that that's very not Christ-like because Jesus said, blessed are the ones who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're to cultivate peace. We're to de-escalate, not, 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 not agitate more. That's not what we're called to do. Jesus also says something interesting. He says that God is greater than him. Wait a second. How many times in the Gospel of John has Jesus made it clear that he and God are the same? The Bible even says that he doesn't use his equality with God as a means to get things, uh, to, to get attention or affirmation. So, so what does this mean? How do we reconcile this? The way we reconcile this is Jesus is 100% human at this point and 100% God simultaneously. Whenever Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, that's the human side of him. And the human side of Jesus was submitting to the divinity of God. And that's what he means there. The, 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 the God is, is greater than this flesh. He is greater than, than this human side. He has been an example for us to submit to God. And then he says something even more interesting. Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming. Who is the ruler of the world? That is the devil, according to the Bible. Now, when it says the world, that doesn't mean the terra firma. That doesn't mean like the, the, the soil, you know? So when you're out in your yard and you get some soil, you're like, oh, it's the devil's dirt. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not what that means. What it means right there is that the predominant influence in culture is satanic. And you guys are like, Corey, that sounds extreme. Is it? Have you not looked around at your culture recently? And quite frankly, that's always been the case. The teachings and principles of the Bible have never been dominant in society, in cultural society, I, I should say. But what Jesus is saying is, this is going to come to an end, and it starts with the cross. In the meantime, until Jesus returns, if we are going to be the people that God wants us to be, we have to lean on the word of God and the Holy Spirit, not culture. Listen to me. If you're trying to figure out how to be a good mom on TikTok, you're just gonna be a negligent narcissist, okay? Don't take your parenting cues from social media. Don't take how to be a good husband from Instagram. Don't, don't, try, to, don't try to learn what it means like five things that you know, determine if you're a good friend. Freaking go to the Bible for that. Why would we go to such a, a, um, an, an insufficient source of how to live our lives when we have the word of God that tells us how to be good husbands and wives, how to be good friends, how to be good neighbors, how to be good citizens, Yet we go to culture, and the Bible says culture is dominated by the devil. It's no wonder that our families are falling apart. It's no wonder that we're a train wreck as a society because we get our leadership cues from a source that the Bible says, Jesus says, is of the devil. So when we fail to walk closely to God, we get, we get derailed by culture, by the devil, by evil. And where does it lead? It leads to where America is right now, complete and utter insane chaos. That's where it leads. We are the prime example on the world stage right now of what it means to, to, to be lawless, to have no sense of true righteousness or godliness. That is us, man. That is us. And it is a complete dumpster fire. Don't take your cues from a dumpster fire. Take your cues from the only thing that has stood the test of time, the word of God the mind of God on paper. 
And so Jesus gets done with this portion of his lesson. And he says, let's get up. They've been in the upper room this whole time. They just finished the last supper. They're in the upper room up in this kind of rented apartment building. And Jesus says, let's go walk outside. Let's go get outside in nature. Let's walk around in the garden. Let's talk there a little bit. Now, here's what's happening with the disciples right now. Look at this. Jesus said, the ruler of the world is coming. Coming. The disciples were caught in the middle of two things that were happening simultaneously. Listen, they were within 24 hours of the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity, the cross. The cross was right around the corner, right around the corner. The one thing that saves us, changes us, gives us the, the, the ability to have permanent residence with God forever was right around the corner from the followers of Jesus. Salvation. And at the same time, you know what else was right around the corner? Evil that they had never been tempted by or experienced before. A new level of evil was right around the corner. Agitation, temptation, division. Do you know what we learn from this? We learn a principle that is talked about other places in the Bible. Jesus talked about this, that as the wheat grows, hopefully we're the wheat, right? We are, we are, we are the produce of God, if you will. As the wheat grows, the Bible says the terror grows along with it. The weeds grow with it. So what we learn from that is this, the closer Jesus's second return gets, every day that goes by, we are one day closer to Jesus coming back. And every, come quickly, Lord, right? And every single day that passes as Jesus returns gets closer, as, as salvation gets closer, evil increases as well. Have you not noticed that the devil is pulling out every trick in his book? I said this a couple of weeks ago. You don't have to go looking for the devil. The devil's looking for you. He's looking for your children. And he's doing it in all kinds of, of disgusting, ridiculous ways. We are living in a time where is, is the gospel increasing? Absolutely. The revivals that are going on in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asian nations, crazy things that are happening. But as that gospel is escalating, as the light is getting brighter, the darkness is ramping up as well and it's gonna to come to a head. It's gonna to come to a head, okay? I got four questions for you, and then I'll let you go home. First question is this. Do we trust Jesus even when it begins to cost us something? Again, popularity, uh, the, the popularity of Christianity in the United States 25 years ago was pretty high, right? Everyone was a Christian, because it was easy to be a Christian. Now it's not so easy and we're seeing it decline. Here's the bottom line though, there is only one path to eternal life, Jesus. A true belief in that means that you will have to sacrifice self. Deny self, Jesus says, pick up a cross and follow me. It will cost you something to follow Jesus, I guarantee it. We may even live long enough to where we will see people have to give their literal lives in the Western world because of their belief. Are our hearts, you and I, are our hearts in such a place to regardless of what happens, we will stand firm, not just to Jesus, but the principles and teachings of Jesus. You know they're one and the same, correct? You cannot divorce God's word and God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, right? The same thing, the word was with him, it is him. We cannot divorce this book and Jesus. So will we stand by Jesus and stand firm on the word of God regardless of the social pressure? 
If we cannot give up our social life for Jesus, how in the heck can we give up our physical life for Jesus? And in those times when it is hard, because guys, it's getting harder and harder, what we have to remember is we have to be assured that Jesus says, in my house are many rooms. If you wanna be with me forever, I got the space. But we gotta stick with Jesus. We have to continue in his word. We have to live according to his word. Second question, are we seeking the will of God? If we are to see God work in our lives in the practical way, how we talk, how we live, how we treat our, our spouse and our, raise our children, if we're gonna see God work in the miraculous, we have to be submitted to Jesus. We have to be obedient to the will of God, obedient to the plans of God, obedient to the desires of God. And so when we pray, whose desires are at the forefront of our mind, guys? Hey, Santa Claus, Jesus, I need this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. How often do we approach God and say, God, what do you want for me? What do you want my life to look like? Lord, I am a living sacrifice. What do you want for my life? Do we long to not only discover the will of God, but to live in the will of God? Do we long for that? God, what is your will? Show me your will. Show me the doors you want me to walk through. Close the ones you don't. I just want your will. How often do we pray that? Do we truly love God? Corey, how dare you? I got a tattoo of him on my arm. I, you know, I got a sticker on my car. I wear, I wear the shirts you guys sell. I love Jesus. I go to church when it's convenient, when it's not too hot, when it's not too cold, when it's not too rainy. I'm at church. I love Jesus. If we truly love Jesus, according to Jesus, we will strive to keep the commands of Jesus. We will strive to keep the word of God. And we're going to fail, but when we fail, because we love him, we should say, God, we're sorry. Well, Corey, I repented one time 14 years ago, and I bet you've sinned a lot since then. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you for that too. Are you saying my... Uh, my, my salvation's in question. I'm just saying, if you say you love Jesus, if I do something in rebellion to the one I, I claim to love, I'm gonna apologize. I'm not talking about divorce or salvation. I'm talking about because I just love you. We should be living repentant lives because we love Jesus. So do we have a relationship with God? Yeah, man, me and God are like this. Okay, do we pray? Do we read the word? Do we meditate? And I'm not talking about an Eastern philosophical standpoint. I'm saying, do we think on the things of God? And let me tell you what, if you do these three things, it will be evident in your life. Corey, judgmental Corey, are you saying that you should be able to see that I'm a Christian? Are you saying that it's works-based? I'm saying that we're saved by grace in order to do good works, Ephesians 2. I'm also saying what Jesus said in Matthew, you will know a tree by its fruit. So if there is no evidence of Christianity on me, I'm just quoting old Jesus here in church, you can know a tree by its fruit. And if the fruit is bad, what does Jesus say? The tree's bad. If the fruit is good, the tree's good. Our salvation should be evident. It shouldn't shock people when they find out you're a Christian. Whoa, you're a Christian? If that happens, something's wrong. Something's wrong, right? if it shocks people when they find out that you follow Jesus. The last question is this, do we have peace? 
Do we have peace? Jesus said, I am sending you the counselor, the comforter, to lead us, to assure us. But if we're going to be led, if we're going to have peace, we have to tap into God every single day. If we're going to deny self, we have to lean on him more. If we're going to reject evil, if we're going to reject sin, if we're gonna be who God wants us to be, we have to be full of the Holy Spirit. We have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And when we are dependent on the Holy Spirit, we experience supernatural peace, a peace that makes absolutely no sense to the world. And not only that, we become distributors of that peace. The Christian should be able to walk into circumstances and de-escalate it. Not because we're good, but because we have the Prince of Peace inside of us. And that we should be able to walk into those family situations, walk into those tragic situations like deaths and hospital visits, and we should be able to bring it down and we should be able to bring some order to the chaos. That's what we're called to do. So I lied to you, I have two more questions. And listen, guys, this has been on my mind all week, all week. I hate social media, I hate it with a passion. I have Facebook because I like old cars and I get on Marketplace and because I have a church and I, I promote stuff on Facebook. Um, I'll tell you what's hard as a pastor. Been doing this church for 14 years. You know, this is a church of about 7,000 people, it's a lot of people. Uh, who knows how many people come and go out of this place every single week? I have no idea. We don't do membership, so it might be 10, 15,000 people that, that come through this place on a weekly basis. I have no idea how many. But occasionally I see people on social media and just in their daily lives promoting, affirming, saying yes to things that are blatantly anti-biblical. And I'm gonna tell you guys, it's, it's, it's disappointing and hard as a, as a, as a, as a pastor to get up here and to teach what is, I think, a very comprehensible, easy book for the most part, and to, to see people shake their head and be here and then go blatantly promote things and, and live out things that are antithetical to that word. And so my question for you, and I don't mean this to condemn you, I don't mean this to make you feel like, to, to make you feel like dirt, I don't mean this to, to come off like I'm, I'm better than you, any of that, but I want you to be honest has the ruler of this world, oh, let's take that out, has, has Satan, let's take that out too, has culture, has culture, because it's run by the devil, has culture tempted, has culture pressured, has culture distracted us from a reliance on Jesus and from obedience to his word? You have to ask yourself this. Has the pressure of society and culture pushed some of us to turn away from fundamental principles of the word of God? We say, well, no, not us. Christianity is declining at a rate that it never has before in the Western world. It is because of this. Have we fallen victim to that? The last question is this. If we have fallen victim to that, do we understand as professing believers of Jesus that any other pathway than Jesus and the word of God, because again, they're one and the same, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That if any other pathway besides that, if we choose to follow it, that it inevitably leads to destruction. Case in point, 
the country you live in right now. Remove righteousness, remove God's law, remove truth. And we start, ah, God help me. We start having conversations if middle-aged boys can have menstrual cycles. Listen, I'm not saying that to, to, to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not saying that to, 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 to cause division or strife or, or for us to go out and hate people that think in those ways. That's not it. But if we start letting social pressure, and listen, I'm gonna, I, I said that this week in front of a good 7,000 people. And I'm sure people will have all kinds of fun things to say about that. But there has to reach a point for, for not me, just all of us, to where in a loving manner, we have had enough of the ruler of the world. Then in a loving manner to where we still love people who are lost in this chaos, but we've got to get fed up with the chaos. In my life, I have to. Because if I fall prey to the pressure, if I fall prey to the temptation, if I fall prey to the distraction, I don't just go to destruction, my marriage does. My kids probably will. Many of you probably will. And we need to go back to the fundamental truth that there is one pathway to God the Father. There is one pathway to truth. There is one pathway to, 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 to life, to truly living. And that is in no other means but Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and um, maybe you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you're searching, you're digging, you're looking. Up here on my right, your left is Pastor Greg. Please don't feel embarrassed or, or shy about that. If you have any questions for Greg, he'd love to talk with you, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything at all, these men and women would, would love to pray with you. The last thing is we have communion all the way around this room, all the way around where we see a lamp on a table. The majority of the posts in the middle have disposable communion. There's gluten-free communion up here on my right if you need to do that. The communion represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ loves us so much that he died on the cross, he resurrected, and he has gone to prepare a place for those who, who wanna be with him forever. And if that weren't so, he says, I wouldn't have told you that. All of us are welcome to take communion and remember what Christ has done for us if we have asked Jesus to forgive us of our sin, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, I pray, God, that, that as the turbulence picks up steam, God, I pray, Lord, that we just rely on you, rely on your word, rely on the truth, that we're full of your spirit, God. Protect everyone in this room. Keep us strong, Keep us of sound mind, of sound spirit, Lord. God, shelter us from evil, God. Give us the ability to be able to, to, to discern it and to, to move away from it and to reject it. God, keep your hand on us, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.